Hey, to all the real estate professionals out there, I want to let you know The Buyer's Mind is sponsored by Homebridge Financial. Homebridge loan officers are experts in new home financing, and they bring sales ideas and strategies and market intelligence and programs that will help sell homes. To learn more about that, go to builder.homebridge.com. Homebridge Financial, home financing made easy. So how are you doing on that whole virtual selling thing? Well, today, you're going to get great at it. Stick around. Welcome to The Buyer's Mind, where we take a closer look deep inside your customer's decision-making mechanism to reverse engineer the perfect sales presentation. Now, please welcome your host, Jeff Shore. Hey, everybody. Welcome once again to The Buyer's Mind. I am Jeff Shore, and boy, do we have a treat for you. Jeb Blunt. The great, if you don't know who Jeb is, boy, you got to get out more. Uh, and and to start getting out more, get out to a bookstore and buy Virtual Selling. It's an amazing book. I have scoured the book. And we're going to talk to Jeb today about his very timely book, Virtual Selling. Well, always great to have back on the buyer's mind, my uh, friend and the, the most prominent sales expert and thinker out there today, Jeb. Uh, Jeb, you've got this book, Virtual Selling, which you put out in no time at all to adjust to what's going on. It's uh, it's an absolutely incredible book, an, another uh, really, really strong opportunity. Uh, but let's just take it back to the idea of uh, this came out so fast. Jeb, can you just tell the audience here what what happened here? How did you process this and how did you, because you know how long a book takes. Th this book hit the shelf in no time at all. You had to write it, had to get edited, had to get it produced, printed and out there. Uh, there's something about speed that's amazing and you got this out there in a hurry. So tell us about the journey of getting this book out. This has got to be the fastest book you've ever produced. Yeah. Well, I was I, I it was mid March and I just walked off a stage as a keynote speaker and went into a studio to produce the audiobook for Ink that came out, my new book Ink that came out in February or I guess early January. And I walked out of the studio that afternoon, went to the grocery store and the zombie apocalypse hit. You know, everything right. had changed that's, overnight. That's the way it worked. Yeah, yeah. 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 Never seen anything like it and mm -hmm. went home you know, like you, I run a business, I run a training company. I'm a little bit worried about what we're going to do. I'm thinking about our salespeople and I start reimagining the business. And, and as I'm doing that, I'm, I'm thinking about my own company. Like, how are we going to go to market? What are we going to do? How's how are things going to change? I take, I'm taking a shower one morning. It's probably the third week in March. And I just get this idea. I got to write virtual selling. And the mm -hmm. idea that the, the, just the title popped in my head, I don't think it's particularly, you know, I don't know, amazing title, but I, I popped in my head. So I got out of the shower, dried off, called my publisher and had a conversation with them. And to their credit, and Shannon Vargo, who is my editor over at John Wiley and Sons, and I told her this last week, I said, it was your leadership. To her credit, she said, let's do it. Because you know that publishing houses don't work that fast. Typically, it's a two-year process. So you got to be thinking about whatever trend's going to be happening two years from now when you write your book. And... They said, let's go. So I started writing the book the first week of April. We finished the book the about the last week of May and mm -hmm. and finished editing. It came out on Kindle the second week in June. And then just because there was a delay in printing, it took another month to get the hardcovers out. They went out uh, a few, I guess, a week last week it went out. And it's been the most insane launch you could possibly imagine. But 
it's a it's a story that I'll probably be telling my grandkids at some point because it was such an impossible story. But Jeff, right. that's one of the things though that I think, and I want to stop and you know I don't want my story is interesting because. I would have never believed that I could have pulled that off. I've, right. Usually it's 18 to 24 months, d- d- yeah. despite how long it actually takes to write the book, you know, the planning mm-hmm. process. I never believed it would have been possible. Just like I never believed when I started my business 13 years ago that it was possible to sell any other way than face to face. And what we're hearing from people, and I know you've heard these stories, is that a lot of people in the middle of this malaise that we're in right now globally are finding out that they are doing things that they never thought it was possible for them to do. They're, they're, all of their mental barriers for what they, what they put out in front of them as what their limits are have been shattered. Now, there's a whole other group of people who are mourning. They're looking out the rear view, view mirror. They're wishing right. things could be back the way they were. But there's a whole lot of other folks who have done that. And for me, all it proved was that if we make a decision to do something, we can we can do it. And by the way, it could have been the biggest flop ever. It could have been a complete <laughs> disaster, but it didn't turn out that way. It turned out to be a real good success and it's a great story. Right. So thank you for asking me about that. And and I think that the, the only message for everybody else out there is that if you've got self-imposed limits, now's a good time to start breaking through them. All right. So here's the question on that. And I, I want to get into the book, but this is such an interesting conversation. I'm going to be careful about using all our time here, but I think it's so very, very important. We get into this time where the world turns upside down overnight, right? We get hit with something that nobody could have predicted. Nobody could have designed. There's no way we could have seen any of this coming. But we have found, we've learned a lot about our character uh, through how we respond to times like these, right? And I think if we were going to look at it and say, all right, I'm going to look back over this whole pandemic issue and I'm going to ask if I I gave myself a letter grade for how I have responded, what would that look like? And it's probably going to be all across the board. To me, the thing that's interesting is that it has changed uh, dramatically in a way that we couldn't have seen changes in any other way. And we'll talk about that as even as we walk through the book, we look at seller and buyer behavior. I think the real question here is that when you get into times of huge adversity, of huge change, how do you respond, right? I, I think it teaches a lot about our character when we see what is our go-to response. Your go-to response is to look into the future and say, what will this thing run into down the road and what will the need be? But what is it, Jeb, about the mindset of somebody who's going to look at it and, and play the role of a victim immediately and say, woe is me, now I have a built-in excuse not to be able to respond creatively versus those people like you are going to look at it and say, no, 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 there is opportunity. I think it teaches a lot about our character at this point, does it? I think it does. And I think that there are a couple of things that you can take away from this. So when this happened in mid-March, I'm a training company. You're a training company. The first Mm -hmm. thing you think is a training company is you're going to panic because 100% of your training is standing in front of people in person teaching. Right. And we made the shift in a week. Like we shifted in a week. We didn't lose a single customer. And in fact, we've raised our training prices because of this, because we're providing such an incredible experience for people in a virtual environment. We, but, but we had something going for us. We already had sound studios built. We already had mm-hmm. bought all the equipment. We had already made the investment. We already had producers on. We didn't make that decision in March of this year. We right. started the process 18 months ago. Now, mm-hmm. let me explain why. I, like you, lived through the worst financial crisis of my lifetime, the worst one since the Great Depression. Now, we can argue what we're in right now is worse, but I lived through that and I was not prepared for it. And I learned a lesson from that. 
don't ever put yourself in a situation where you're not prepared to change. You're not prepared to look forward. And it was, it was scarring, but the, but the scars that we got from that, we keep looking at them because they remind us never to have that problem again. So people would tell me, wow, you guys so are lucky. Like, how did you do that? How'd you pull that off? I'm like, I already planned for this. Now I wasn't planning for the coronavirus, right? I was planning for a recession. I just figured at some point, the economy was going to drop off the, you know, off the a cliff. And as a training company with a lot of trainers working for me, the last thing I wanted to do was lay people off, people that I've invested in, people who are talented. The last thing I wanted to do was have to suck it up. I wanted to be prepared for it so that when people stopped traveling, we could be there. So if you weren't prepared for this, and there, there, we, we could argue that most people weren't prepared for this, then all you have to think to yourself is, okay, what am I learning for this? Don't ever let that happen to me again. Don't not be prepared for a crisis. You're going to have a crisis. There are things that are going to go wrong. And make sure that you're always looking forward. And, and the other side of that is if you are in a place that you're still mourning, and I've had a couple of podcasts about this. We call them the coronavirus talks. But if you're still mourning, you got to work through that. I get it. Okay. You're human. You got some grief. You, you, you want things to go back to the way they are. It's time to stop mourning. If you're, yeah. if you're waiting for things to change, or if you are living in uncertain times, let me tell you something. Uncertainty is called deer in the headlights and deer who are in headlights get run over. So mm-hmm. this is the time for you to wake up. And I would normally put an expletive in there, but wake up, right? Wake <laughs> up and look forward because it's not going to go back. It didn't go back after 9-11 and it didn't go back after the last recession. It, you know, there are things that are in our economy that are still left over from the last recession, including my scars and your scars. It didn't go back after 9-11, you know, no matter where you go through in the world, travel is excruciating, it's awful. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of things that happen because of that that we're still dealing with, you know, including wars that are still going on from 20 years ago. So it's not going to go back. Things are going to change permanently. Now, the good news is that what's going to happen coming out of this is innovation at a level that we've probably never experienced before. We're going to have entrepreneurship explosion, right? There's going to be so many people who are going to start businesses in the middle of this. And more than anything, and this is you know a segue into the book, but we're going to be more efficient, more effective more agile and we're going to have more ways to connect with other human beings and sell stuff and engage than ever before and even though all of those technologies were there before the pandemic happened it forced us to to get good at them it forced us to start using them and truly for the first time ever sales is becoming an omni-channel process where and, and, and territorial barriers, everything gets torn down. And it doesn't make a difference whether, you know, in your world, you're selling a new home or you're selling a machine or you're selling software. Now, you know, you can put a grin on your face and you can interact with people so that there are no longer any barriers for you to be able to do your job and help people. Yeah, it's it's the the opportunity for innovation, as you say, is just so profound. And, you know, you could almost correlate it to you know, the, the concept of buy on the bad news or, or, you know, Warren Buffett saying, you know, be fearful when others are greedy, be greedy when others are fearful. You know, if you're willing to lean into something rather than play the victim, the opportunities are endless. And let's, let's use that as an opportunity to get into the book because we're going to talk about virtual selling, of course, that's the title of the book. But I want to start by talking about virtual buying because early on you asked the question, will customers and prospects accept virtual selling? And I think the 
answer is profoundly yes. Are you surprised at how quickly buyers, uh, the, the prospects have leaned into this and said, well, I guess that's the new normal. That's what we're going to do. Because whether it's whether it's retail behavior, business behavior, whatever it is, uh, it, it seems like it didn't take any time at all for people to make the adjustment. Now, as you say, uh, obviously, we're still struggling financially, but that doesn't mean buying has stopped. It's kept on. Are you surprised at how quickly our buyers changed to adapt to what's going on around us? I'm not surprised at all. I, the the buyers were adapting a long time ago. Buyers just want to be met where they are. Now, there are some buyers, for example, that want to go to a retail store and they want to walk through a retail store. I happen to be married to one. She likes to do that. It's fun for her. Uh So there's a retail store for her to walk through and she'll go put a mask on and do that. There are other people like me that if I never have to walk into a store ever again in my entire life, I'm going to be happy with that. Just you you can deliver it to me. I'm good. When they started delivering wine, like like it was over for me. Like I can get wine from anywhere in the world and deliver to my house. Life is good. So I think that the hangup was on the seller side. And I find that especially with field sellers, like so field sellers are what they think that the only way to sell is face to face. Now, part of that is because they feel better. In the book, I talk about how a lot of field sellers lost their sight. Like they can't, they, they, you know, they, they, their, their eyes and the way that they deal with people when they're in person, they're really good at that. And that's, that's what they grew into. So how can they perceive that there's another way Mm-hmm. that you could go about doing business. But there are companies like DocuSign that have been around for years that allow you to sign a contract when you're not there together. And we've been selling over the phone for a really long time. One thing, by the way, is working with inside salespeople because it's surprising to them that when they ask their customers to hop on a video call with them and they actually show their face that they reduce sell cycles when they do that. I think yeah. that I think that any everywhere, anywhere, people are you know, are starting to learn. My son, who just got out of college and got his very first apartment, he did the entire apartment transaction on a video call. They walked him through, they did a tour of the, of the, of the apartment, walked him around, had a conversation with him, built a relationship with him, did it on FaceTime. And 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 he signed all the documents on DocuSign. They left the keys for him in a box and he moved in. He never even talked to, yeah. he never like physically talked to another human being. So I'm not surprised at all. I, the hangup right. is on us. Like we're the ones that are making the decision for our customers, what our customers want to. There is a, uh, early in the book, I, I was at first a little bit taken back. Then immediately I said, oh, this makes so much sense. Part two of the book, part two of all of the sections that you have, is on emotional discipline. You have an entire section of the book on emotional discipline. Uh, you had to have determined early on in the process that we've got to get inside the head of salespeople and make sure that their head is screwed on straight for this. Uh, at what point did you look at it and you can say and, and just decide the mindset is going to be more critical than the skill set when we're talking about virtual selling? Well, first of all, sales is emotional and people make decisions based on emotion first and then based on logic. And that's not me saying that or Zig Ziglar saying that or any of the bright minds who have said that since the beginning of man. The scientists say that psychologists mm-hmm. say that we've got the pictures of the brain to, to prove it and the, and the studies to prove it. That's how people operate. So for salespeople, just what we were just talking about, right? A salesperson says, well, my customer won't accept this. So they start making excuse for the customer. That's the salesperson's right. mindset. And mm-hmm. and at the same time, we have to be able to influence the emotions of other people and we have to do it in a different way. And if we 
just do the, you know, do the, you do the math on that. That's emotional intelligence. It's my ability to manage my emotions and be, and, and know what my emotions are at to, and, and, and then influence and respond appropriately to the emotions of other people. Now in a virtual world, that's harder. It's more challenging. No one in the world's going to argue that face-to-face communication isn't the best form of communication for human beings because mm-hmm. it absolutely is the best form of communication. All the whole picture is there when we're face-to-face. So now we've got to take a look at all the different virtual channels, video being a big one, and we've got to be able to create a better emotional experience for our buyer. And the one thing that that is absolutely true about sales and buying is that the buyer's emotional experience of working with you as they go through the sales process is the most consistent predictor of outcome of any other variable. So if you deliver a great emotional experience over a a virtual channel, they're going to want to come back for more because it takes a lot of the friction out of selling and makes it easier for them. But for the salesperson, it's the same thing. And we were earlier talking about trainers, for example, in a training room, my trainers, one of my trainers in particular, she was just at the very beginning, just totally freaked out about delivering a training in a virtual environment. She does it now. She's amazing at it. She's incredible. But for her, it was, I can't see people. I can't touch people. I'm nervous. And when the camera got in, in front of her, her ability to control and manage her emotions began to degrade immediately. So she had to learn how to, how to gain control of her emotions so that she could make an impact on other people. And it's no different for salespeople. And, and by the way, Jeff, you know, when we, when we have our virtual selling boot camps and bring people in to teach them, which we do in a virtual environment, of course, when we ask people what their number one challenge is, and it is always the camera makes me nervous. Right. That's emotion. Like the camera didn't mm-hmm. do anything to you. The camera's the camera, right? But right, the camera right. makes me nervous. And it did to me too for years. Like mm-hmm. I wouldn't stand in front of the camera because I was I would I was critical and I was younger and a lot better looking back then. You know, now I'm old, <laughs> I look like a gargoyle, you know, and I'm and I'm standing in front of the camera. And if you and if you really want to see a gargoyle, look at Jeffrey Gittimer. Like he doesn't even and I and I love you, Jeffrey. I'm just saying this. He wrote the four words in the book, but I mean, look at Jeffrey. He doesn't give a crap what he looks like on camera. He's on right. camera every single day. But yeah. if you ask him, he'll tell you that he learned that and he learned it early and so can you but that that's why emotions matter so much because virtual selling is still selling and selling is emotional yeah yeah no doubt about it uh you know one of the things that that i'm finding interesting in this shift is that uh when we look at the idea of how buyers interact on a virtual sales call and there's the question of attention span that I that you talk about in, in the book and the issues that we have to deal with in attention span. Uh, I have observed something very, very interesting because, as you know, Jeb, my, my core industry is real estate. So if somebody walking into a, a new home sales office, they could be walking into a furniture store, they could be walking into a car dealership, whatever it is. So let's use car dealership as an example. Customer walks through the door immediately, what do they see? Well, you know, it's a beautiful showroom and the lights are reflecting off the perfectly polished floor and there's that car that's just, but what happens? Salesperson jumps right up in your grill. Hey, how you doing? Right? And, and I'm not making light of salespeople. That's what they do. It's part of the greeting. But there is this distraction over the salesperson's right shoulder, that beautiful, beautiful car that they want to go see if you're alive. In a virtual experience, what I'm seeing in many cases is that's not the case. That that attraction of the product itself is not out there. And so in many cases, if the salesperson plays it right, it actually extends the attention span of the customer. They're not trying to get past the salesperson because there's nowhere to go. Have you seen that play out? Yeah, I think that the I think you're exactly right. I think the a couple of things I'd say with that. One is 
that when you're on a, a video sales call, so we'll call it a virtual sales call, but I would say a phone call is a virtual sales call. But if we, sure, if you're on yeah. a video sales call in particular, you are the entertainment. You're putting on mm -hmm. a show, essentially. Yeah. So, so engagement's going to be your ability to constantly stimulate that buyer to keep them focused on you. And you're exactly right. What we're seeing, another way of looking at that is when we're working in the B2B space, what a lot of B2B sales professionals are finding is that when they're delivering a presentation, so they've gone through the sales process and they're delivering to their final presentation, that they can keep those prospects engaged or their customers engaged a lot longer on a virtual call than they can in person because in a person, they just go to the presentation book and flip to the last page and say, well, this is too much. So they go from hello to negotiating in an instant. And on a virtual call, they're able to control all that. They're able to manage all of that. And one trick that I use, for example, is when I'm on a virtual call, I have a smart board, but I use I also use paper whiteboards. When I do discovery calls with people and I start asking them questions, I write down their answers on the smart board behind me. And like people love it. They'll call me afterwards. I've had customers call me afterwards and could you teach my sales team how to do this? Because it it's so intriguing because now I've got I'm 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 writing down what they're saying to me on the board behind me and I'm demonstrating that I'm paying attention to them and now they're into me and I'm, I'm able to keep them moving. And, and what I'm finding now that we're really perfecting this is that customers, I, it's like, I have to end sales calls on, on video because the customer likes they're lingering, like they're hanging around, they want more. So yeah. I think, I think then, you know, if you're like, if, for example, in your space where the, the people that you teach, if you're selling real estate, you've got to learn how to create the story. You've got to learn how to create the process because you're going to be showing people something on video and you may be using like an Osmo. Uh, I've, in the book, there's a link to you can get some of these things. But if, let's say you're using, using an Osmo with your phone and you add somebody with you. So you're you're basically weaving through the space. Mm -hmm. You're totally in control now and they're going to yeah. hang around and spend time with you. And and you're going to be able to then as you walk them through the demo, do a much better job of bridging to them. You know, it's it, I love the idea of the the I'm writing down what I'm hearing on this board. And if you are if you're the customer, if you're the buyer at that point, what are you seeing? You are seeing what's wrong with your life in writing right <laughs> over this guy's shoulder. I mean, that solidifies it. And this is a great story from a, a salesperson. She's she was do, on a video call, had never met face to face with this prospect, but on a video call for a lady who was thinking about buying a home. And she's asking her, so tell me what's not working with your home right now. What What is the biggest efficiency? And she says, well, we're suddenly working for home. My wife, my she said, my husband, and I are both working from home. We got two little kids. So when I have to get on a conference call, I'm embarrassed to say this, but I have a small table that serves at a desk in the master bedroom closet. Okay. Now this is what's great. The salesperson says, no way. Let me see it. And the lady, <laughs> she's, she's on her phone. She's on her phone. So the lady walks to the master bedroom closet and shows this little tiny table serving as a desk. And she said, now, oh, let's add one other thing. I have to close the door for quiet. You know how hot and stuffy this gets after an hour? And, and so what's happening here? That, that dissatisfaction is solidifying so thoroughly yeah. that I, she can't stay. She has to. And getting somebody extricated from where they are is half the battle. So it's this beautiful experience. I love it of being able to just say, let's make sure that our customer understands nobody's moving to anything until they're moving from something. 
Um, you talked about uh, this free resources. You've got a whole video selling playbook as a supplement to the book. Hey, everybody, I'm going to give you the code. No, I'm not going to give you the code. you got to buy the book. It's right <laughs> in the book right there. Uh, can we talk a little bit about um, the idea of, uh, as you mentioned, you know, a phone call is still virtual selling. It is. Uh, but when we look at it here, there's almost this hierarchy of communication that we could put out there and say face-to-face is, I'm going to firmly state, is always going to be best because you get the fullness of communication. But then what happens after that, right? There are all these different methods. And my concern is that to some extent, I think a lot of salespeople for years think that they're doing virtual selling because they fire off an email. uh, And I think you and I are probably on the same page on this one. I know you are, that that this is one of the least effective ways to, to think that you are selling. Can we just chat a little bit about uh, how you pick your method of communication? Because you get into all of that, right? The book starts on a top level, but you get way down into the appropriate weeds of uh, how you pick the right method even of communication. So a, a simple formula that is, this is the future, by the way. The future is this formula. We're never going to go back to all of one thing. And if you are going back to all of one thing, you are sub-optimizing your sales productivity and your income. We're omni-channel. And there's two channels. There's two ways that we communicate, synchronous and asynchronous. And really, you know, if you think about it, text can be both synchronous and asynchronous in some cases. Direct messaging for me is another one that can be asynchronous or synchronous depending on one. But synchronous is what you and I are doing right now. We're interacting in real time. So. Mm-hmm. In person is an easy way to interact in real time. It's the best way. It's telephone. You can interact in real time. And and then video. Those are your going to be your primary channels of synchronous communication. Chat is web chat's part of that, but most salespeople are not doing web chat right now. In the book, I describe the fact that you probably will be. So it may not be a bad idea to start getting used to that concept. But then there's asynchronous communication like email. And email is probably the 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 number one way that we go asynchronous. One of the sad things for salespeople is that a lot of them have become asynchronous sellers because right. all they do is send email. And essentially mm-hmm. what they're doing is they're avoiding having conversations with people. However, yeah. the thing is, the sales is talking to people. The more people you talk to, the more you're going to sell. So the formula that I begin with when we start thinking about communication, and I use a term called blending in the book, and you need to get used to hearing that term because you're going to hear it a lot is you need to think about how am I blending communication channels? So let's just take the example that you gave me earlier. And so the sales rep is having a conversation with a lady who's married and has kids, and they're in a place that is becoming um, untenable. They're, she's mm-hmm. locked in a closet in her master bedroom. It's hot and stuffy. I know how that is because I used to do podcasts in the closet, and it sucks. So, um, so she's in that place, and she wants something better. So first, we're starting with what's not right, and then we're going to help her move into that dream. The beautiful thing about this is in this situation, we're using video, we're using phone. So she's on the phone and then she says, show me. Okay, now they go to video. Now they're on video having a conversation. And then the rep may get off of that, send an email that has maybe floor plans and shows her different models. And so they get the email with the with the PDF brochure. And then maybe a text message goes back and forth about setting up a meeting. And then at some point, they're going to want to come walk through their home. Now, because we're in a situation where we need to be safe, setting up that tour is going to take some time and effort and it needs to be done the right way. And, and they, you know, are they going to bring their kids, not bring their kids? 
But we did a whole lot of work that we would normally do, say, in the model home. We've done that ahead of time to build that story. So, so now we're going to set the time where they're going to come through the model home, but we're probably going to be able to close or at least get, you know, get a deposit or get something signed then because we've already made all the other investments. So what we're doing is we're picking and choosing our channel in person, but but because that's the least efficient and the most expensive channel, we're gonna make sure that that particular meeting is gonna count. So the formula that I use is really simple, and this is something you, you should write down as you're listening to this. You wanna choose the communication channel that for this particular customer, this particular situation, this particular place in your sales cycle is gonna give you the highest probability of advancing to the outcome that you desire at the lowest cost of time, energy, and money. And so as you start looking at the channels, if you start applying that formula to the channels, it will always be a perfect match, but then you start thinking, how can I do this? And this, by the way, Jeff, is why I'm so excited about virtual selling, because mm -hmm. if you just take that formula and break it down, this is how you become more efficient, more effective, more agile, more flexible. And just like the scenario you just described, which I think is a beautiful story, you begin to meet the buyer where they are and right. you communicate on a completely different level. And I'm so in love with that story because it just, it's the, that story is emotion, right? It's all emotion. Right. There's no right. logic in that story other than this is how I feel. And then, and then think about the, that that salesperson and her her intellectual acuity in that moment and her emotional right. acuity in that moment to ask that question like show me like that is so beautiful right and how much is that that buyer now bonded to that salesperson right i my guess is most salespeople have not seen the inside of that lady's closet no so you're right there's a depth there that's that's unbreakable very cool. And you and every uh, time you talk to her, you're gonna go, you remember when you were showing me your closet? Sure, Take a totally. look at this closet, right? right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. Let uh, me show you this yeah. space over here. Now imagine yeah, you're sitting right. in your closet and now move here. So what I'm doing yeah. is I'm shifting them. I love what you said. You know, they have to start someplace that's yeah. untenable. I need to get them used to the fact that that's not going to work for them anymore yeah. in order yeah, to get yeah. them to move into a place where they're aspirational and they're gonna sign on the dotted line because. That's what they want. They're so driven emotionally to move to that place. Last question, Jeb. Uh, one of the things that's, that sales professionals have to deal with is that there is this new reality. And you, you've got this great page in the book where you've got the pictures of uh, the photos of the different salespeople and what they look like uh, when they are on a, a video call. It's it's hilarious. And, and the descriptions are, are I don't want to ruin it, but the descriptions are, are, are spot on. They're just great. But uh, what it speaks to is this idea of discomfort. You know, I, I wrote a whole book on comfort addictions for salespeople. I could rewrite it right now or come up with a new addition just based on what we're doing right here because salespeople who were so resistant to being on camera to doing anything where you know whether it was recording a, a bomb bomb video or whether it was uh, a video interaction a web chat whatever it happen, happens to be their own discomfort is getting in the way uh, what advice do you have for salespeople in dealing with this massive discomfort because they're listen you've made pivots i've made we had to change we had to reinvent our businesses overnight we're not suggesting it was comfortable, but we are suggesting it was necessary. And so, uh, and in the long run, that which is uncomfortable is probably a clue that something cool is on the other side. What advice do you have for salespeople who are still very, very uncomfortable trying to adjust to the new realities? The only way I can I can answer the question is just to tell my story. So, yeah. 
you know, back in 2007, 2008, I, I'm heavy into podcasting. That that was my thing. And, and I, and I didn't like video and then YouTube came along and a lot of people were missing Jeffrey Gittimer earlier. So he had a podcast, he shifted into YouTube and really built a big audience there. And in the meantime, I'm sitting back going, I can't stand video. I don't like video. It's hard. It's not, I don't, you know, I don't, I, when I look at the video camera, it makes me feel nervous. I'm so, mm -hmm. I was obsessed over how I looked. And at some point I realized, and it took me years. I mean, this was, I, I missed the, the initial boat on YouTube big time to capture an audience. And it was hurting my company because so much of content, I mean, I think, you know, Cisco came out and said, you know, 75% or more of the content on the, on the internet is video content. So I'm missing the boat big time. So I start working at it. I still feel the same way. And if you're afraid of the camera, this is human. This is normal. This is everybody. Like everybody feels this way. And I walk into companies where, you know, I'm, I'm dealing with the CEO of a Fortune 500 company and we're shooting videos for a training program that we're building for their onboarding, you know, uh, in their LMS. And this person, I just watched them stand in front of a group of people and own the audience. And we put a camera in front of them and they can't like, form a sentence because it makes them so nervous. Mm -hmm. So, so what I did was I did exactly what you did or you said, I started forcing myself to shoot videos. I would be in a hotel room. I'd put my camera up, I'd shoot a video and I would post it on YouTube. You can still see some of them. They're awful. And I would, uh, I would go into airports and I would, if I would, if I had somebody travel with me, I said, we're going to shoot a, a video right here in the airport. And I would shoot a video in the airport and they were awful. And I, and I did it. And what I did was I forced myself to be in situations where I was so self-conscious and so insecure, but then I did it and did it and did it. And what happened is over time, I got pretty good at it. Like now, for example, I walk off stage or I'm in a, you know, I'm doing a keynote and someone says, uh, hey, my sales team, they, they know I'm here, but they would they would die if, you know, if they if they knew that I was talking to you. And I said, well, turn your video camera on. Let's just shoot a video for them real quickly. And they'll hold it. And they're like, really? I go, yeah. And, they'll shoot, and I'll just knock off a quick video for their sales team. And you think about how many people have I touched that way? Because I, I, I'm not afraid of doing that. And and I made some bad mistakes. I went, there was a, and there, I tell the story in the, in the book, but there was a time when I was on a, on a call, I was on a webinar, my webinar that I set up at 2,800 people on the webinar. And I turned it off in the middle of the webinar because I got so nervous. Like I, I messed up. I did one with Anthony and Areno. I had uh, John Spence, Mark Hunter on there, Mike Weinberg. And we did this big, uh, this big webinar. We had 8,000 people on it, something crazy like that. And I was, this is before I had my big studios now. I was, I had everything positioned wrong because I was so nervous about looking good that all you could see was my nose. Like that was the only part, like my nose up to my eyes, the rest of my body was gone. And people were texting, like putting in the chat, you know, what a moron I was. And my whole team was looking at it. I swear, <laughs> Jeff, after that, I swear, I, I told my wife, I am never getting on a video camera ever again. And she says, you know, stop talking like that, get back up again. And I did it again. And I don't make those mistakes anymore, but you're going to make those mistakes. You're going to screw up. There's going to be a tech problem. It's going to happen. The only way you're going to get good at this is to do it over and over and over again. It's yeah. the only possible way. And I, the reason I tell you my story is that I don't want people to think that like, and cause you and I do this for a living that we just woke up one day and we were right. just like, we were born good at this. We were, I, you, maybe you, like you, like you're yeah. a consummate professional, but I sucked at it and I sucked at it for a really long time and yeah. I suck less than I did. But if you want to see the evidence of my suck, go to my YouTube channel. The videos are there. 
Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, we, we, I, I don't know if we've pulled them all down, but man, I'm just thinking early on. I had just bought this gray like tarp behind me. I had a fake ficus plant. It, it was <laughs> I, we internally we joke about that ficus plant to this day, uh, but we did it. And you were absolutely right. It's just that it's you just got to do it. But you know what this is? It's it's almost like it's it's like resistance training. It's like weight training, right? There, you have to embrace the discomfort if you're going to get better. And uh, it, I think. If we if we find the opportunity to lean into the discomfort, there's opportunities on the other side. Jeb, I can't thank you enough. It's so we can talk about this all day long. It's such good stuff. Thank you not just for uh, being with us today, but seriously, thank you for writing the book. This is a book that had to be out there, and it had to be out there quickly. By the way, congratulations because the book has taken off. It is at the top of the charts. It is, uh, ju- and it deserves to be. Jeb, thanks for being with us again. Thank you, Jeff. I appreciate it very much. Thank you. All right. There you have it. What a great uh, conversation. And Jeb is so busy right now. I'm thrilled that he took the time. I'm always inspired when I hear from Jeb. And I just want to encourage you for some of the things that Jeb was just talking about. Uh, you can you can fight this. You can do the bare minimum or you can lean into it and maximize what the future will be. This is not it, actually not what the future will be, what the present already is. Lean into it, my friends. Embrace this. Run with it. And you are going to have the chance to change someone's world. 